0: Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors.
1: Hey folks, Jason Bond in the Crop Doctors Podcast studio in Stoneville. Tom, as always, is with me. Good How morning, Tom. It's
2: great to see you.
1: Monday morning. Monday morning and I made it here before
2: 10. You did. I'm it's, proud of you. It's the third week in a row I've been back to work, folks. It's great. It's nice to have
1: a wife that's up and walking around without crutches. Before you know it life will be normal again.
2: I guess that depends on who you ask.
1: How many times have you said that in the last year?
2: Way too many.
1: Okay, let's stop there before we... Tom. Tom.
2: That's Tom's new normal. Breathe.
1: No, just stop. Oh. We have a guest with us today, Justin McCoy. Justin, good to see you, man. Good to see
0: y'all. Um, thank you for having me over. I made it here before 10 as well, all the way from the eastern part of the state, Tom. So. Burn.
2: A little longer drive. Yeah, I feel the burn. Cleveland. Thanks. Exactly, Stoneville. Verona
1: Stoneville. That's exactly what my son would say. You just got burned. Proud to have Justin here. Justin is a former DREC employee. How long have you been gone? A year?
0: I've and been a half? gone for a year. So this will be my second year um, in Verona at the North Mississippi Research and Extension Center. Um, now the agronomist, I guess you could say, kind of a catch-all up there. Worked in soil for Wait, 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 wait.
2: Yeah, slow down.
1: There's a procedure.
2: No projectile vomiting. Jason's going to hit you with an off-the-wall question. There's a
1: procedure to these things. Okay. Justin was here for a long time. Seven years? Too long. Uh, Seven sounds correct.
0: Seven sounds correct. I tried not to count. I lost count after about four.
1: But Justin started as an hourly and worked all the way up until he had earned his PhD. So seven years sounds like a long time, but he also worked and accomplished a lot during that time, too. So happy to have Justin back visiting with us in Stoneville. Justin, how many stoplights do you think there are in Mississippi? In the entire state? In the entire state. That's a tough question. I'm going to go with 9,000. That's fair.
2: I'm going to take the over on that. I'm going to say probably something in the order of 100,000.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, you think? I do. Eighty-two counties.
0: Do that math. How many stoplights are in Holmes County?
2: I don't know. I didn't pay well that good of attention. That was well, well played. played. Very good point.
1: Is a Queen County? Wow. I mean, I'm from Chico County, right across the river. Give and it how many? In my entire life, there was only one stoplight in Chico County. There's two now.
2: How many stoplights are there? Actually, there's, the, three. there's three. There's in the Jackson General Jackson Metroplex.
1: Yeah, but I don't do metroplexes, so I, have, I have no a lot.
2: Well, but those would be in the state of Mississippi. Well, you asked I, no, how many stoplights are in the state count. of Mississippi. There's a lot.
1: I know they count. So what did you say, 100,000? I said
2: 100,000.
0: I'm under on that. Of course, yeah. I was way under, obviously. I don't have any
1: I could be.
2: Look, I could be way over on that. I'm not going to Google it right now. I'll look later. That would be,
1: no, nah, dude, it can't be that many.
0: No oh, way. I
2: think you'd be surprised.
0: I'd be very surprised. Do we have a fact checker?
2: Boy, that would have been a good idea. <laughs> wow. We've missed you, McCoy. Jason, we, that's, we've that's, that's two
0: podcast
2: episodes this morning, back to back, where the person you asked the question to just stumped you coming back. Yeah, so you may be giving you. me a hard time but about that's the getting whole, that's
1: burned. the whole point. S- got you back. Got you. That's the whole point of the ridiculous question.
0: I'm wide awake. Plenty of coffee.
1: Seriously. Uh, you know, mentioned you being here for several years, but just give folks an idea of who you are and where you're from and the kind of stuff that you've worked on up until this point, because you kind of have a non-traditional background.
0: Uh, yes, I did. I appreciate that. Like you said, I was here for seven years. A um, long time. Started off hourly. I uh, grew up in Columbus, Mississippi, on the east part of the state, uh, over there around a little bit south of Verona, where I am now. Um, I actually thought I was going to be one of those uh, doctors going through college. Got all the way, you know, my junior year and realized that that really wasn't the route I wanted to take. Um, I enjoy people, but sometimes they you know, get a little carried away with the speaking. Um, so plants is something. I, I ended up coming over here, met Dr. Golden. Um, he hired me. I uh, got my master's in soybeans with soil fertility there. Then I I kept going and was provided an opportunity to get my Ph.D. Uh, worked in rice uh, with Dr. Bond and Dr. Golden and Dr. Allen as well. Um, did a little bit more of a kind of cross there, looked at uh, some drift scenarios
1: in that. Your master's project was a soybean promotion board sponsored project. Yes. And then your phd project was a rice promotion board sponsored project so why don't you just give folks just a quick blurb about both of those just so they know the kind of stuff that you've worked on
0: absolutely so my masters we looked at nitrogen additions on soybean this was back i guess it would have been seven or eight years ago now when soybean prices were near the level they are today actually Um, so we were looking at adding some nitrogen uh, during those reproductive stages in high yielding beans so we looked at that Um, we did see some response but economically it wasn't Wasn't really something um, that we would recommend. And then going into my PhD again with the Rice Promotion Board, looking at harvest aid drift onto late season rice. Um, So we looked at timing, cultivars, different desiccants. Um, Got a lot of good stuff about that too. I know that you've been talking about it a lot on here and in a lot of the extension meetings we've been to Dr. Bond. I was afforded those opportunities and enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, Led me back across the state. Uh, Now I'm in Verona at the North Mississippi Research and Extension Center. And um, I guess I'm, just like uh, on the Crop Doctor podcast now. So,
1: What kind of stuff are you doing in Verona?
0: I am a little bit of a catch-all. Uh, I'm the only agronomist over there, so we, we do a, a little bit of everything. But m- um, a majority of it is we do a lot of agronomy, look at a lot of different hybrids, a lot of um, seed treatments, do a lot of iron chlorosis screening, um, and then Fertility stuff is kind of where I, you know, it's kind of my bread and butter, I guess. That's what I was trained in, and that's what I really uh, enjoy doing. So trying to uh, take the east part of the state and and really fix, you know, those fertility problems they may have over there. Um, We've got a lot of cover crop work going on uh, with the soybean promotion board. I'm um, looking at it and how it interacts with fertility. Um, I think there's a lot of good data out there on cover crops, but I think applied data to our producers in Mississippi has a long way to go. Um, and, and we're hoping to kind of fill a lot of that gap. So that's been some of the interesting stuff. And then, you know, we got Dr. Allen and yourself both coming over there with projects. So we do a little bit of everything, which I enjoy that side of it.
1: And we certainly appreciate the having an asset in that part of the state to cooperate on and get another location in on some projects so you mentioned fertility that that's kind of where you cut your teeth and really are interested in so tell folks what's going on in the fertility world right now we're sitting here March the 29th when we're recording this so as soon as it dries back up we're pretty much you mean a lot of the corn's in depending on where you're standing in the state but when it dries up Probably going to be green light for soybeans, too. So give folks an idea of what's going on in the fertility world right now.
0: Exactly like you said, we've got a lot of corn in the ground. I suspect, you know, a lot of starter fertilizer has been put out. A lot of people will come back behind the planter and really be rolling once we get this next dry spell. Um, Even over in the eastern part of the state, we're still running some buggies, some spring P&K. Commodity prices the way that they are, I think that that's been looking up and is good for me. And even over here as well, I saw three or four buggies moving around um this morning so with that once we get there and we get that next dry spell i know that you know we're going to be full on with that first shot of nitrogen um, and get that corn up and going so with that uh, we want to put about we probably put about a third out on a lot of those starter applications if not a lot of a lot of producers are going to run about 75 maybe 25 with the second shot later on as it's coming up i saw some some you know V2, V3 corn, once it hits that V4 growth stage, we really want to have it out there and make sure we've got a good base so that it can take off growing.
1: On your rate, so you say about a third of it, give folks an idea of your range because it obviously soil texture yes, is going to um, factor into that. So give us some ranges for some different soil textures.
0: So ranges on that, in, in Mississippi State still, we're about 1.3 pounds of nitrogen per your expected yield goal, right? And, and I think that... You know, that's a tried and true method, uh, a great range. On your heavier texture soils, you need to be on the upper end of that. Um, On your lighter texture soils, you know, I know that fertilizer prices have gone through the roof. Um, And obviously, we certainly want to have enough out there. I think that if we can be timely with our applications, though, that that nitrogen rate is something that we can, you know, that 1.3, you're going to get there, um, even with a pound, I think, in a lot of instances. So you're talking... On this first shot you know coming in with at least 100 pounds and probably more in the 100 120 to 150 pounds of, of nitrogen range um, and then you'll come back And if you run a two-way split you'll come back with the rest of that either another you know 50 to 100 pounds depending on your texture on your heavier soils you'll be more in that 100 and on your lighter texture soils you may reel that back a bit um, and then you guys that are going to run a three-way split with the extra 100 pounds of urea tassel, so 50 pounds of nitrogen um, they'll obviously subtract that from there. But I do hope that we get a dry spell and can get this nitrogen out timely. I think that's one of the main keys to to having not only a good nitrogen rate and a good crop, because that's really kind of our, our biggest factor in our corn yields. You know, obviously, if you, if you don't get that nitrogen out there when it needs it in a timely fashion, you're not going to make the yields that you want to. Hopefully a lot of sulfur goes out with those nitrogen applications. We'll We recommend that in about the 10- to 20-pound range. I really would like that to see addressed in the fall a lot more, although I know that there's a a lot of insol with with the sulfur that goes out in season as well.
1: You mentioned the starter being out on the the acres that are planted. Then you mentioned buggies, too. Those buggies that are running, how much of those applications are nitrogen? Are they P&K applications? I think
0: it's a little bit of both. In the eastern part of the state, we've made a, a large... We are in the process of making a large switch to dry nitrogen applications, um, which I think in that part of the state it has a really good fit. It's a it's easy to you know it's easier to move that that bulk um, dry fertilizer for one uh, as you if you're traveling long distances like some of our guys do there. And we've come a long way with some of the urease inhibiting products that are out there um, to really keep that nitrogen where you want it.
1: Tell folks what a urease inhibitor is.
0: So Agritain, MBPT um, is a urease inhibitor. It was kind of one of the first. There are multiple products out there, like, that's basically a brand name, right? There are multiple products that most retailers sh- should have at this point, a urease inhibitor. It basically slows down as urea hydrolyzes in the soil and converts to ammonium for the plant to use. Um, it slows that process down so that it doesn't happen all at once, and you don't, you don't lose all that ammonification and volatilization. Um, into the air. So once we get a rain, it's in the soil. Um, it's mobile and available for the plant there. But if you if you run that dry fertilizer and it sits out there for you know a week to ten days, hopefully you don't want to do that. But but it will slow that down. You won't have near the nitrogen losses that you might have before that. So with that, that's one reason that this time of year running that buggy is is really even it can be better because you can cover a lot of acres quickly and you know we expect to get, we get a lot of rain this time of year. So, you know, when's the last time we had a 10 day stretch where we didn't get a rain fall event in this time of year? Um, so those buggies, I mean, you know, with the with the technology they have these rate, these days with variable rate and those buggies, they can really move a lot of product quickly.
2: So does everything that somebody's getting from a retailer have a urease inhibitor on there, or is that something they need to be mindful of when they're purchasing their fertilizer?
0: Absolutely need to be mindful of it. Most retailers certainly recommend it. um, And I think that, I hope they do anyways. If they don't, I would definitely ask about it. And, you know, with this year, um, it's going to be, you know, if we keep commodity prices at the level they are, and with fertilizer prices as high as they are, we certainly don't want to be having to over-fertilize to make up for the fact that we didn't put a urease inhibitor out there to begin with and lost that nitrogen and having to make up for it later in the year.
1: So everybody understands you're referring to a product like Agritane on urea. Correct. Not not necessarily all of your fertilizer. And and an
0: insol as well. Um, I would absolutely recommend that. Um, An insol
1: as well. In that case, explain to folks what's in the insol and the fact that the Agritane is protecting a portion of it but not the balance of it.
0: Referring to UAN, referring to the fact that some is ammonia and some is in there as urea in solution. Um, So with that it will it will protect that urea part so it doesn't and the ammonia will volatilize even even quicker than that. Um, So we see a lot especially on heavier soils if we don't get that slit to close Closed tight, um, it's absolutely subject to all the same loss mechanisms that that urea would be laying on top of the ground. Um, see that a lot, especially in the eastern part of the state where we grow a lot of corn on the heavier blackland soils. Getting that to close back has really been a key for us. If you're trying to cover a lot of ground quickly, it can really exacerbate that problem. As you as you know, those knives are running. If you're running, you know, five, six miles an hour, that's that's pretty swift. You're moving a lot of earth with that. And so that's why I think it's crucial to have the, one of those inhibiting products in the tank with that. Um, so definitely, you know, ask your retailer if they're not already doing that for you. I think that it's an, it's an inexpensive solution to something that could really set you back a lot as we see those fertilizer prices really skyrocket.
1: What's your recommendation for addressing that? open slit where you've applied that nitrogen? Is there something that folks can do to address that?
0: First thing's going to be slow down and really pay attention to that application. A lot of times it, that maybe that rig came from your retailer. Maybe it's your rig. You went over it, what, one time at the beginning of the year. You know, you're know you going to cover a lot of ground with that. And and oftentimes it's one of the last things we think about. It kind of gets put on the back burner and you put it behind the last tractor at the shop that's not hooked to a plan or whatever you can find out there. And it's hard to slow down this time of year. It is. I absolutely understand as you're trying to not only get everything planted, but get everything sprayed and fertilized. It's a, it's the busiest time of year that we probably have with especially corn. If you can slow down a little bit, make sure that those cultures are spaced where they're supposed to be, away from that crop. And you know, with environmental conditions are the main factor in all of that. If you're going to have a long, long dry spell, you can afford to you know, hey, let's slow down a little bit because getting it out there and letting it sit in the dry ground for ten days is not going to do you a lot of good. Um, it's just it's not going to mobilize within that soil. And it's not going to be plant available. So those are some of the things you can do. Uh, those recommendations are sometimes difficult to carry out and absolutely understand that. So I think that a urease inhibitor or a nitrification inhibitor product in the tank with those is is definitely essential to help aid in that process. But if you put those two together, I think that's when we can really see our nitrogen use efficiencies to climb in this state. And I think it's a big key that we need to move towards that as we have – some environmental regulations that come down. And as we see some of the problems in our water quality, that's going to be some of the first things they look at is nitrogen use efficiency, how much are we applying it and what are we getting out of it? So it's just something to be aware of as you're out there, as you're running these applications. And, and as you are so busy, you know, just take the time to try and make sure those cultures, you don't have one off center dragging, you know, not greased well and, and turning as it's supposed to.
1: Are there any people that make a little equipment modification To those coulters or or knives, you know, drag a chain behind it or something like that to help close that furrow?
0: I have seen that done. I don't know offhand of any ready-made products that are like that. The things that I've seen, I've even seen somebody have planter closing wheels behind one. But all that has been done, from what I've seen, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but those have been kind of modifications done in a shop, you know, by somebody, uh, custom work anyways. I don't know. Of a of a company out there doing that, and it certainly can help. That's a lot more, even more moving pieces on a machine yeah. that, that you know already has a lot of problems. You're running, you're running, um, you know, running UAN through there just eats those things up. Going to eat up anything metal you put out there. You know, the urease inhibitor and just slowing down and watching what you're doing are, are the two easiest and, and quickest ways to to really make sure you're getting your bang for your buck with when you put out these nitrogen fertilizers.
1: We've talked a lot about nitrogen on corn. And just present you with a scenario, maybe a guy didn't get his P&K out in the fall. And now he's either has his corn in or maybe he's going to plant soybeans. I I don't know that the two would be different. But address that situation where you're wrapped around to springtime now and your field or farm has a requirement for p and K.
0: I I appreciate the question. Um, That's perfect. So, It's been a lot out there, you know, maybe in the fall, you weren't sure what prices were gonna be, you know, everybody's trying to make a budget. Um, If it's calling for P and K, if your soil test is calling for P and K, we've shown time and time again uh, with that research that if it calls for it, you're more than likely to 90% chance you're gonna see a response to that application and you're gonna get a yield bump of, you know, all the way up to as much as you can. But you're certainly without that base P and K fertility, you can put everything else in the world on there. You can get all your weeds taken care of, put as much nitrogen out there, take care of all of uh, Dr. Allen's diseases, and and you're still not going to meet those yield goals you want to. Um, I strongly recommend that if you have not done that and you saw maybe some, even not necessarily deficient scenario, but one where you had a medium to low um, that you thought maybe you could get away another year with, I think this is the year to to make sure we get that out there. Um, And that being said, we've also looked at, timing of that stuff, you've got until about v 4 on soybeans, if you, if you call it early, and, and the same on corn. Um, so you do have some time to get those in-season applications out there and still see that yield benefit, even in scenarios where it's not necessarily that very low scenario where you don't see symptomology, but you can still certainly benefit from that and get that yield goal that you want um, out there we discuss a lot of the meetings that we go to the the crops that we're growing now even if you didn't soil sample last year maybe you skipped a year maybe it's been two or three years um, if you're if it's not something you're doing every year on your farm we're pulling a lot of p and k out of those soils every year a 200 bushel corn crop is is over 75 pounds of p a 60 a 60 bushel soybean crop you're removing over 75 pounds of k which is exponential from where we used to be and exponential from cotton. Uh, so it's something to be mindful of. Even if you say you ran a, a maintenance rate you put out 100 pounds of product of both, you know, you're know, you only really getting 60 pounds of K and, and 40 to 50 pounds of P out there. That may not be enough to keep up with those levels that we're pulling off of those fields and, and we're sending to the elevators every year. Um, so as we continue to increase our yields and bump those levels up you know watching that p and k is something that we certainly need to be mindful of and and make sure we're doing a good job of putting it out there because mississippi as a whole the u.s as a whole we're in the negative hundreds of thousands of tons removal to addition rate every year so certainly it's my job something we want to do better at and, and hopefully we can get there and In years like this, when the commodity prices are there, it's something we want to make sure that without that P&K, it's a drop in the hat of what you can be on your yield goals.
2: So how often should a farmer be running just a basic general soil test?
0: That is a good question and and a valid one that I brought up. Obviously, myself as as a guy of fertility, I I mean, I would love to do it every year, but that's difficult to do, whether, whether what crop you have out there, the weather conditions, and a budget. It's not necessarily free whether you you're getting somebody to do it or whether even if you're doing it I mean it's still a time that you have to take
2: but the trade off on that can be immense if you're not looking at those numbers to actually put product back in there to benefit the crop you have a pretty negative trade off there if you're not putting the time into taking
0: those soil samples. Well you could be off your entire yield basically if you wanted to be. Um we don't see that a lot in, in agriculture situations because most guys are doing at least some sort of fertility. But certainly if you weren't, I mean our yields would be back down to nothing. But, you know, seeing a jump between, you know, ten to twenty bushels is is, is easy to do and, and we see it all the time. Um, even when we go out there and you haven't you know you haven't seen you don't see that deficiency by the time you see a deficiency it's too late you're you know you've lost 20 30 bushels of corn for sure and soybeans i I would say on a lot of the on a lot of your high productive ground absolutely
1: related scenario and you mentioned timing earlier how responsive are corn or soybeans or both to a post-emergence application of p or k you know say you, you are soil testing but then your crop shows an obvious deficiency and you need to address it.
0: If you're to the point where you see a deficiency of a P or a K, you're going to have a hard time getting that back throughout the year because most of the time, I mean, soybeans, you're probably not going to notice it until V4 or so when it's really mined, it's pushed everything it could find early in the year up into the plant. And then you'll start to notice the yellowing or the reddening of the chlorosis of those leaves you may get a little bit back i'm i mean i would absolutely recommend you put some out there at that stage um, but if you get there you're going to wish you had done it sooner so that's why we want to hope that you are doing some soil sampling and if and if you have a question or it's somewhere you've seen in the past you know, address that on the front end. If not in the fall, I, I would always recommend the fall, but if not in the fall, you know, at planting. As I said before, I mean, we've got up until about V4. V4 is pushing it, um, but you can put it out at plant and during, the, during those early growth stages and still see the results from that. Now, if you've got a truly deficient situation, you may not have enough mineralized, you know, at, by that time to really see that. But if you've got a situation where your soil test came back medium to low, You might hope it would get there, but maybe your roots don't develop like they should for some reason. We have a wet year. Then that that could take effect, and really you could see that right then in that year. The micronutrients are going to be the biggest of those that we can address in season. Uh, Sulfur, zinc on corn are the two that really come to mind quickly. Sulfur on everything. Um, We see it more and more every year.
2: And what symptoms should somebody be looking at? To address one of those sulfur deficiencies.
0: So, for a sulfur deficiency in corn, is going to be what we see, what we get calls on um, more than anything. You're going to see interveinal chlorosis on those, on those youngest leaves um, as it pushes it up there. So. And it's going to be like almost a pinstriping on those leaves itself. If you see that, you know, certainly either call call one of us, get somebody to come look at it, call your retailer. But it's more than likely a sulfur deficiency, possibly a zinc. Zinc's going to show up even earlier than that. So zinc could be as young as you know two, three leaf corn. Um, you see that it'll yellow up. There's some really good zinc chelates. Um, you can run them about ten pounds an acre. You may get some burn from that. Um, but of all the data we've done, the burn doesn't matter. It, it comes back, and the zinc will make up for that little bit that that you may see. Sometimes it's not pretty, but it, it's better than not addressing the problem. Uh, sulfur, you can address that in season. A lot of the sulfur deficiency we see, Dr. Allen, they, they kind of come, and then it will go away. So as that plant grows, you may it may grow out of it, but that doesn't mean the problem wasn't there. And if you would addressed it beforehand you would have seen that yield increase from that. Um, Sulfur can be one of those tricky ones because our soil tests and our tissue sampling, it just the way that it tests for it it doesn't quite always show up how we would like it to be in a plant available form. We have a hard time exactly pinpointing that. Um, And as we moved away from all the free sulfur we have floating around in the air, um, it's something that we certainly need to be mindful of. Um, these days and and you can you can fix that there's a lot of good insol products to go out with your nitrogen and ammonium sulfate is certainly a, a choice that that you have if you have a if you can run a dry buggy so there's multiple options there
2: so as always we really would like to thank our our listeners uh we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast you know keep the comments coming i know jason has certainly said he's he's heard from a lot of people recently that content's good that's definitely what we're trying to do so we really appreciate y'all listening we appreciate Justin coming back it's nice to see one of the kids that left Stoneville got a job and is able to come back I know kids I'm sorry I'm older than he is I can still refer to him as a kid right we really appreciate I remember remember he was
1: an hourly so yeah
2: I don't necessarily recall that I remember him as an hourly oh you know I do Oh, I'm sure Jason could tell us <laughs> some stories. A we, we, <laughs> but, we'll
1: try not to embarrass him. Justin, for real, good to see you. Really proud to have you in Verona doing what you're doing. So keep up the good work, man.
0: Man, thank you all for having me. Absolutely. I certainly enjoyed it and appreciate it. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.